Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thanks for joining us today on the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. We've got a fantastic show for you today with Jesse Gaynor. Jesse has a brand new book called The Glow that is part satire, part humor, uh, but all of the fun. You're going to love this book. Uh, it's, it's such a great read. Join us over at storycraft.cafe to find out about all of our upcoming events where you can join us as uh, we record these author interviews and you can be a part of it. You can offer suggestions and questions for our guest and we post all of that over at storycraft.cafe. On to our show. And we are live here in the StoryCraft Cafe. I'm your host, Hank Garner. As always, today, my guest is Jessie Gaynor, and she has an amazing, fantastic new book. It's called The Glow. And I, I love this book so much, Jessie. It is, uh, I was trying to tell someone about it the other day, and, uh, you know, I was just piling on effusive praise that, um, that was kind of all over the place. And, and this is, this is really one of my favorite, um, kinds of books is one that you have a little bit of trouble categorizing, you know, it's, it's social commentary. It's, it's funny. It's, it, it's all these things. And I, I love it so much. And I'm telling everyone about it. The new book is called the glow. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I too find that when I really like a book, I just sort of trip over my words. So that is really <laughs> lovely to hear. And, and I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. Well, that, that's one of my favorite things um, about books is, you know, and, and when we're, when we're talking and my, my Kindle is just rebooting, I was going to show everyone uh, the cover of the glow. There it is where you can, uh, it's available everywhere now. You can go grab it. Um, but one of my favorite things, uh, Jesse, is, you know, when we're talking about books, it's so important to um, or I, I feel that a lot of importance is placed on on describing where your book fits in the bookstore. And and I understand why that's important. You need to be able to tell people where to go to find your book, obviously. But there's something that is kind of magical about a book that that doesn't fit neatly into a category, it seems like. Um, so first off, uh, if we're talking about the glow, how would you describe it to someone who knows nothing about you, knows nothing about your work? D this, what's your elevator pitch for the book? Yeah, I, I think I've gotten slightly better at this, but it took me a really long time. And I have to thank uh, Random House's uh, marketing and PR teams for like giving me some help with this. Um, I, I like to think of my biggest... Above all, I just want people to know that it is, my hope was that it was funny. It is like, yeah. that was that was really what I wanted uh, 
a big takeaway to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's always weird to say it is funny um, about your own work, but that is my hope. Um, it has elements of satire, although I don't I don't necessarily consider it a strict satire. It's about it's about the wellness industry, um, which I think also. Uh, has a lot to do with the healthcare industry in this country and the yeah. sort of the gaps in that, the enormous gaps in that, that the wellness industry has, um, has sort of rushed to, to fill. Um, it's about kind of what, what it means to believe in kind of anything. Um, yeah. it, I, I, I look specifically at wellness, but I, it, it kind of began as a, as like a culty, a cultier book and then I veered more toward wellness. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's, and, and I, some people would think they're the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, they have, I think that like the, the fervor can feel very similar, the fervor, which right. with, with which people believe in their, in their macrobiotic diet and also their, um, you know, actual sort of more recognized religion. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up satire because I was thinking about this. Um, I don't know, a, a week or two ago when I, I was kind of, I had finished the book and I was, I was thinking about kind of what it meant to me. And satire is something that, that I immediately went to, but then I said, you know, this doesn't really feel like, because a lot of satire is kind of over the top and you illustrate a point by being so over, uh, you know, dramatic about it. And it's not that it's, it's kind of a subtle, um, poking fun at the reality and the realities are, are just very, very prominent and very kind of center stage. And it, that's, it, it may seem like a subtle difference, but until you, until you read it, you can, you can tell what the difference is. It's not over the top exaggeration. It's, it's kind of just uh, bringing out the, uh, the humor in the fact that we take ourselves so seriously it's it and as, as i'm sitting here talking about it i find it hard to put in words but uh, no i i do too because i people have asked me about you know whether i consider it a satire and i and i and i love satire so i don't want to say yeah. but it, it it i think it reads more like a satire than i intended it to be because the wellness industry is so easy to it is so over the top already right. without without going um that extra <laughs> right <laughs> I, I do find it funny that that uh you mentioned that it was uh that some of these topics are a bit cult-like um because in I, I find it hilarious that in a society where we're increasingly um more um secular and we're kind of afraid maybe afraid is not the right word but we don't really want to come down one way or the other on on religious topics we will take something that has no religious connotation whatsoever and build a religion out of it and it, which is hilarious to me they're, they're, that's so chock full of of things to be poked at yeah it, it's interesting because for me i i saw less of a different i see less of a difference between people who consider themselves um you know a member of a, a mainstream religion or not than people who are who who are able to really give themselves over to a system of belief and people who aren't. Yeah. 
um, whatever that system of belief is not to say that there, that there's obviously there are material differences, but like, I don't, I have, I, I find myself, it is difficult for me to give myself over to a system of belief. And I think that sometimes it feels like it would be really nice to be able to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Let's go back to to um, uh, before the glow. Uh, what, and this is a question I love to ask people. What is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Uh, so my mom, um, when I was a kid, was training to be a therapist. She went back to school um, and sometimes she would she would like do therapy games on me. Uh, (laughs) And one of them was, um, uh, I think I, she would draw like a scribbly picture and I would tell her when to stop. And then I would create a a story out of that picture. Um, And very, like very clear cut uh, therapy game now describing it. But for me, um, the, the fun part of it was, just the story creation. Um, and I think she also saw that that was something that I was interested in and, um, and really encouraged, uh, storytelling and, you know, making, making little stapled books. Um, in high school, I wanted to, I wanted to act, but we also had a one act festival every year where I would write a one act play. Um, and so I moved a little bit more away from acting, uh, which I was not incredible at. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then, and I, I, I focused on poetry in college and, um, got an MFA in poetry and then realized that I wanted to write a novel. <laughs> I love it. Um, I've, I've known a lot of, uh, actors, some successful, some not so successful, um, that have turned to writing prose. Uh, and there's, uh, there seems to be a connection there where um, when you're an actor, you are uh, part of the process uh, in, in some way. Um, but when you are uh, an author, you're in control of the entire process, the, the creation, the execution. Now, of course, we know that when you're publishing, you know, you're going to work with editors and publishers and more people become part of the process. But there is something to be said about being kind of in sole control of the creative process. Yeah. I mean, I think the most frustrating thing about acting is, um, is it is much more difficult to, to do it under your own steam, um, in a room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do think that there's a, there is a connect. I think that there's a connection between the impulse to write fiction and act. And it's like, you know, trying on another, another person or in the case of a novel, many other people. Yeah. What, uh, what drew you to poetry? Um, I, I, there's, there's sort of a cynical answer and a less cynical answer. Um, the cynical answer is that I had a, an early poetry professor who, who told me I was good at it. And I was like, well, I really like being told I'm good at something. So I'm going to pursue that. (laughs) Um, and then the, I think, I think, uh, I think I could have gotten better at fiction, um, earlier if I had tried harder at it. Um, but it's, it, it can be alluring to just, do the thing that someone told you you were good at right away. Um, and then the less cynical answer is that I really love, um, this sort of intense focus on language, um, that poetry requires. 
the like really micro uh, line level tinkering is something that I like, which can make writing a novel take much longer. <laughs> yeah. well, not to be um, the dirty capitalist in the, in the conversation, but um, when you are pursuing poetry, um, does the market for poetry have any bearing on, uh, you know, how you ply your craft and, and whether you feel like this is a lifelong pursuit? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, it, it, I did not want to teach. Uh, so it really became, okay, well, poetry will be something I can do. Um, uh, and, and it will never be something I do in a, I mean, no, kind of no one does poetry full time, um, but, but people have, people tend, people who tend to be re- really serious about it, I think usually end up teaching in some capacity. And I was not great at that. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Um, you, you got your MFA. Um, how do you, you know, as having published a novel now, looking back, what did that experience, uh, what tools did you gain from, from an MFA? And I know lots of people who have pursued the MFA route and then lots of people who have not, um, and, you did, so you can't speak to the experience of, of not having an MFA, but w- what kind of tools do you feel like you uh, gathered along the way from that experience? I think it, it, to be honest, they're all, they're all really tools that, that, that I could have gotten elsewhere if I had, yeah. you know, I, I learned to re- read more widely and, and read in kind of a, a really focused way. The, the thing that an MFA really gives you, um, if you go to one that, that is funded specifically, which where they pay you to go, um, is time. Yeah. Um, and that's something that, you know, few, few other things will just give you t- money to write um, nothing in particular, but just like whatever you want. So that's, that's, that's kind of my advertisement for MFAs. Uh, it, it feels like it's less about, um, you know, craft things that would be impossible to learn elsewhere and more about just um, time and, and being around people who are, who are interested in, in writing as well. Um, I think I've, I've, people that I met there were early readers of this novel and were just incredibly, incredibly helpful to that. Um, but yeah, you know, you can also, you can also have a writing group. (laughs) True. True. I'm not, I'm not anti MFA. I don't think it, at least for me, it didn't make me write a specific way. Um, but I don't think, I certainly don't think it is, it is, uh, an irreplicable experience. Was was there a a member or members of the faculty that uh, that you feel um, you know handed down some sort of knowledge that you hold precious now, or was it the community of your peers that you were with that had a had more of an impact? What I kind think, of what, yeah, I think the peers are really the they are the ones who will shape your experience most. Well, of course I was also, um, I was studying poetry and I think I had kind of already figured out that I liked fiction more. Um, so it's not fair to the faculty, uh, to say no, really. I mean, I learned a lot about poetry. Um, and I just, if fiction now feels much more natural to me. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, kind of, overthinking every line um 
I don't know if that helped the novel or not, but I did. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I thought really hard about every sentence. <laughs> well, and when you're writing poetry, you, you have to, because you, you have a limited space and every line has to carry a, a certain level of impact and, and each line has to do something. And, and with a novel, when you've got 80, 90, 100, 120,000 words, you can kind of meander, you can let sentences build subtlety and, you know, you can take the reader to different places. When, when you first started writing the novel, how did you start thinking, how did you get your mind to switch from, you know, every sentence having to to carry a certain weight to to having some freedom and some looseness there that you only get with writing prose i think that i think that took me longer than it should have i think the first drafts of this book might be a little exhausting like they're too i think that they're like too it's too much on the sentence level and not enough on the plot level. Like my, my editor at random house, we did a lot of editing after I sold the book and she, her name is Cleo. She's an incredible editor. Um, and I think a lot of the time she would, my, my understanding of her, of her very kindly phrased note was sort of like, what if here, instead of this like digression about something that we really is like nice, but nothing to do with the book. What if instead of that, you did some kind of plot? <laughs> what if you moved the plot? Um, <laughs> what if the book had a direction? Yeah. And, and it needed it. And, and really, the other thing about, about getting an MFA in poetry is um, poetry workshops are sort of, they're tricky for me. A poem is really like stuck in a time that I wrote it and I find revising poetry really difficult. And so one of the great things about switching to fiction was the ability to revise. And so like, it always felt like an enormous gift to have someone reading my work and, and saying like, here's how we can make it better. And that being true. (laughs) (laughs) Some people might um, be surprised. Um, to to hear that you sold a novel to a publisher and then you work with an editor who is like okay we we need to you know pick this apart dismantle the story put you know and and really work on editing the novel um what what was your your experience like selling the book to a publisher what what did they what did they like about the book what what did they tell you about what your editing process was going to be like uh, this was your first novel to publish so you know coming from someone who you know lived in the poetry world had now written prose now publishing had, what was that experience like yeah so i think it, i think it really differs and i do think that that there are editors and writers who who maybe do people will sometimes do more editing with an agent. Um, but I was my, my agent, um, her, her big note when she first read the manuscript was that I should, it had two points of view and she said that I should cut one. And that was, Mm. that was tough to hear, but she was right. (laughs) And so I cut, I cut one POV and, um, and rewrote. Um, and then she felt like it was ready to go. Um, And I think, I think that what, what my editor liked about the book when she first read it was probably more about the language than the actual, like, like 
motion of the plot. I think that she thought that there was probably potential in the plot. Um, but I think, you know, I think she liked the, the, the poety stuff, um, which is, which is good. Um, because I do think that that was, that was the strength. Um, and I got, I got very lucky to have someone who was willing to really put in the time to, cause, cause you can publish a book kind of in any state. Um, right. Like it, it could have gotten published probably like they could have put it out into the world as it first was. And it just would not have been nearly as good. Um, and I, you know, there's like, they're like cynical, um, sort of market things like, you know, let's just rush it out because wellness is very, is very hot now, right. but luckily wellness only got more absurd in the, in the years that right. we were editing it. So <laughs> exactly. Well, having only read the finished product and the single point of view, um, I'm very curious. What was the other point of view that that you um, had to take out? What what was that? What was the story like then? Yeah, so it was it was the the Tom character who is um, who runs the runs with the sort of enigmatic uh, cult ish cult leader ish type woman cast. He runs the retreat center, um, and I I it was a whole, the whole half of the section, it, it's a whole half of the book. It switched back and forth. Um, and I ended up putting back a, sh- a sort of small section of him telling a story that sort of shifts to his point of view. Okay. Um, and having written that, I, I'm not someone who can ever kind of convince herself to do th- that level of like, okay, well, I'm going to cut this down to five pages. So I better write, a uh, hundred, but I do think having written a hundred, it helped write the the five to twenty so much. Gotcha. So I don't know if next time I am doing something, I will ever be able to convince myself to write a hundred pages that I know won't make it into the book. But it does help. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I, I heard um, I think it was Nicholas Sparks um talk one time and and he said that he uh overwrites by like 20,000 words or some some that seems like a massive amount um knowing that he will chop that out and you know when you first hear that you're like why would you on purpose you know, overwork knowing that it's going to come out. But, but sometimes it's those things that you learn from that, that seep into the story that, you know, unless you've been there through the whole process, you can never see it, but, but it, it definitely shows up on the page. It's, it's just in a ethereal kind of sense. Yeah, no, it, it was, it was sort of, it was sort of shocking, but I am an underwriter. Um, <laughs> And so yeah. I could only have done that not knowing that it would get cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the character of Jane uh, in this book so much. Where did Jane come from? Jane, I kind of, I kind of, she has been, she's definitely been called an unlikable protagonist, which I, <laughs> I do not disagree with, but I've, you know, there have been people who have said, Oh, I find her to be profoundly unlikable. And then people who have said, I know I'm supposed to, but like, I also find her painfully relatable in a way that I don't quite like. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that to me, I liked, um, you know, there are parts of her that, that are true to my uh, worst thoughts and experiences. Um, <laughs> and it was very fun to sort of amp those up and just create someone who I knew was going to make people a little uncomfortable in that way. And just hope that 
there would be some uh, like relatability in in the unlikability. Um, but I always think it's more fun to write someone who's a little bit a little bit unpleasant. <laughs> You know, there, there's this whole theory uh, in writing and, and it was huge in screenwriting a few years ago, the the save the cat method, where if you have an unlikable uh, protagonist, have them rescue a cat out of a tree or, you know, something that that allows the audience to to, uh, you know, bind with this protagonist and feel a, a sense of connection so that when they do horrible things, you, at least you can look back and say, okay, but he's really a good guy, you know, because <laughs> I saw him, you know, rescue the cat out of the tree. So when you have a character that, that people bristle at and, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's because they see too much of themselves in the character, which is kind of how I think about, you know, if I, if there's a character that I don't like, I start wondering, um, is, am I seeing something of myself in here, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe that's a little too navel gazily gazy, but you know, anyway, um, what do you do when you have a character that, you know, people are, are, you know, not super fond of, but they want to keep turning pages. How do you build that sort of connection with an unlikable character? Yeah, I think, I think I use, I think when I was doing the two points of view, I, I gave Tom a little bit more of the, I get, I think I gave him all the likability. (laughs) Um, He, I felt really like tenderly toward Tom. um, And I wanted, I wanted him to have like a nice, a nice ending. Um, But I think putting him then in giving him, I think often, even in life, if there's someone who you don't, who you don't like, but maybe you find interesting, if, if another person, if you see another person um, appear to like them, you're like, oh, okay, well, I will give them a second chance. And I thought that um, Tom and Jane's friendship was something that I, I kind of put a lot of, um, put a lot of that on. Yeah. Do do you see that um, or when, when people read the book, um, do they, uh, does it resonate with them that, uh, you know, we see so much of, of kind of this, uh, uh, social media kind of weird gloss that's put over real life. Um, like are, are people connecting with the story and kind of seeing, you know, the, the absurdity of kind of what we're dealing with in real life now? Yeah. Interestingly, I have heard from people who consider themselves like a little bit more devoted to wellness in various forms. Um, uh, and they have been, connecting with it a lot, which makes me feel good because I didn't, I just, again, you know, it's the satire question. I didn't want this to be necessarily an indictment of the wellness industry because I think that it's connected to so many other things. And I think, and I, and I don't think that people who believe in wellness are, are dumb or credulous. You know, I think that like there are a ton of different reasons to believe in anything. Um, And with, with things that are sort of like, you know, alternative medicines, of course, there, there are reasons that the people turn to those. Um, and, and, you know, I think if, if I felt like I had, uh, I have, a, I have a, 
I'm a type one diabetic. So I have a disease that's like incredibly well understood and everyone is kind yeah. of like, here's the one thing that you need to live. Right. <laughs> if it were less clear cut, I could certainly see myself um, looking for, looking for ways to feel better. And I think, you know, that's kind of what it is. People just looking for ways to feel better. And I, and I don't begrudge anyone that. Um, so I was really glad that people who are more into those things didn't feel um, like the book was mocking them in any way. Well, and, and that's one thing that I kind of got uh, that I realized kind of early on in the book is that a lot of times satire um, almost feels like um, that you are making fun of of someone to their face, but, but they don't, they're not in on the joke. They're like, like they don't realize everyone's making fun of them. Um, but what you did in this book is you definitely kind of, uh, shine a light on some of the kind of ludicrous things that we do without being mean spirited. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that I appreciated about it is that we could, you kind of allow us to shine a light on, and have a good laugh at the things that we knowingly do without just being um, without being mean. And I, I think that's that was a, a very um, kind of wholesome thing about the book, if you can say that. No, that's that's really nice to hear. And I think I do think that that it wasn't it was a little bit important in that way for Jane to be the jerk. Because yeah. if she's if she's sort of like standing outside and and even if you find her relatable it's not like she's the she's not necessarily a perfect reader proxy <laughs> yeah yeah um well after publishing this book jesse um where are you um where, what are you focusing on now um you know this this book has been off your desk for a while i'm sure as it goes through the publishing process um having gone through this writing uh revising publishing schedule um has has another project uh popped up i am i'm sort of I'm sort of in the early stages of working on a book for, for adults, but set in middle school, because I think middle school is, is uh, a really formative time um, more so at least for me than high school. Um, yeah. And you don't see as many books set there. Um, so I'm hoping to get that going. I, I had, I had a baby five months ago. So that, is that has probably been taking more of my attention than writing. Um, but you know, she'll, she'll be, she'll be on her own soon. And <laughs> I, I, I have to say that I find an adult book set in middle school, um, extremely fascinating. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with that. Oh, good. Well, yes, I, I, I must get to work on it then. <laughs> The Glow is available everywhere now. You can grab it at your local bookstore. Go support local books. If you don't have a local bookstore, we're going to put links in the show notes of this episode where you can grab it from Amazon and uh, pick it up today. It's available everywhere. Jesse, if people are just uh, discovering you and want to follow along with everything exciting that's that's going on, is there a place where they can connect with you online and follow along? Yeah, I, I tweet almost never, um, but my my Twitter handle is my first and last name, Jesse Gaynor. Same with Instagram. Um, I also am a full-time editor at Literary Hub. Um, 
and uh, I do some blogging there. Uh, and yeah, those are kind of my main my main spots. <laughs> Excellent. We'll link those up uh, as well to make it easy for folks to find you. Uh, Jesse, this has been so much fun chatting. Uh, Everyone go pick up a copy of The Glow today. Thank you so much for taking time to join us on the show. Thank you so much, Hank. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.